Well, good morning. I'll tell you, it is so good to be back with you all after last week. Uh, I missed you. Um, I'm so happy to be back with you. I feel better. Thank you so much for the messages and the prayers. Um, As you can tell, we still have a lot of people who are fighting some kind of sickness one way or another. And so if you will show them the same kindness that you showed me and just be praying for them as well. And also, um, if you notice somebody, just reach out to them. Check on them like you did me as well. Um, It's it's just... uh, so good to be with you. I really did miss you all last week. Uh, On that note, being together in everything, thank you, first off, to all the men. I want to thank Jay. He had, I think, two hours, maybe two and a half hours to prepare a message last week. It was like 7.30, and I was hoping to be able to join you all, and I wasn't. And Jay stepped up last minute and was willing to do that. And we had other men who were willing to do that as well. Jay just uh, was the one that was able to present. And so I just want to thank everybody who stepped up in my absence. It's just so encouraging to see that this church does not revolve around me, because honestly, I am a nobody. Um, But that you are, as I've been trying to say forever, you are the body. You are the ones that make this happen. And so uh, just thank you so much for that. Um, Also, Jay made a comment that um, I do have to kind of um, correct, though. He, I think he called me crazy um, for wanting to do a half marathon. There's no correction on that, actually. Um, It is that way. But I know there are a lot of you that are eager to join. Tomorrow starts the official training for it if you want to do the program that we're doing. So tomorrow starts the official training, and I'll just tell you, if you miss out on tomorrow starting to train or this half marathon, Sam and I were talking earlier, and we have a lot more tortuous uh, activities that we would love to have you all join us in. So this isn't your only chance to be guilted into joining us on something like that. Um, One that we do a lot of times is called the Gauntlet, Conquer the Gauntlet, and it is a four and a half mile obstacle course. And it's actually my favorite event of the year. Um, You just run through mud, you climb walls, you swing, you fall, you get blisters, you get scrapes, you get all that fun stuff. And it is just a great time. And every year that we do this, I've noticed that as I'm trying to recruit people and people are constantly telling me there's no way I would do that, every now and then somebody slips through the cracks and I get somebody who is like, actually, maybe. Tell me a little more about it. And so then you go into detail of like, you know, it's four and a half miles, you climb over walls, you have to swing, you have to lift stuff, you have to carry stuff, you have to run, you have to do all this stuff. And they start thinking there's no way that I could do that. And then you recruit other people who have done it. And it's like, well, go talk to this person because they did it as well. And then you start getting this sense of, well, actually, maybe I can do that. And then you go through the event, and afterwards, you get to share in the fun. You get to share in the, man, I didn't really think that I would be able to climb over that 12-foot wall because I hate heights, but I actually was able to. And it was just really cool to see how everybody came together, and people you didn't even really know were all pushing for the same common goal. And so they were helping you instead of pulling you down. And they were encouraging you. And through it, by the end of it, you're like, I didn't think I was going to be able to do that. And I'm impressed and surprised at how much I actually was able. Sign me up. I'm ready to do another one. 
And it, it, it just is encouraging through that. When you get to hear somebody else has gone through something and then they can share their experience, it's encouraging to you. And the thing is, is that God does not intend for you to do this life alone. He never intended for people to walk through their faith and their life alone. That's why he gave us the church. A body of believers uniting around Jesus Christ, as we just talked about. It is in Christ alone. Who are fallible, who are sinful, who are going to drop the ball left and right, but yet pushing through. The word that we're using for this series is persevering. That you're going to stumble. You're going to mess up. You're going to fall flat on your face, but you have a body of believers who are there to rally alongside you, to pick you up, to say, keep going, don't give up. And so that's what we're looking at, looking at this morning as we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. And we're seeing that you are not in this alone. That God has given us a body of believers who have gone before us in the Bible times, and then how he has given us a body of believers here and now, and how we are all running towards the same thing. And so if you'll stand as we read our passage this morning, we're not going to read all of chapter 11. We're actually not even going to read chapter 11 to start with. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Father God, we thank you that we can come together. And God, that we can see in this moment, if we feel alone and we look around us, we see that we're not alone. But God, even in your church, we can feel alone. And so God, I pray that through this message, your word be spoken, your truth be spoken. And God, that this be just a message of encouragement to those who are weary and downtrodden and just wondering, can I go on? God, encourage us all to either be encouraged or to encourage. God, let your word spring forth from this message. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. So have you ever actually hit a wall, not figure, not literally, but figuratively? Like you're, you're going and it seems like, man, everything seems to just be going so well. You, life is flowing for you. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's like, I have no energy. I have no desire I was doing so good at being in God's word every morning and then one day hit and now I cannot find the motivation to wake up. I was doing so good of just being joyful and then all of a sudden I cannot find a reason to smile. You know, life is going to throw those things at us where walls are going to hit us. Either they're physical, where you literally hit, sometimes a literal wall, but you hit a, I just have no energy, where they're emotional, where it's like, I just can't find any joy. I'm just so straight-faced. Maybe it is mental, or maybe it's even spiritual. But we're all going to run into those moments where we question, what happened? What is happening? Why am I even doing any of this? How am I going to get through this? 
man, it'd almost be better if it just stopped right now. We see a couple of those walls in the Bible where Paul even is like, man, my heart is broken even to the point of death itself. Like, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm ready to die. Like, if Jesus would just take me, that would be amazing. But then he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We see Jeremiah where he's actually getting beaten and he's living out his ministry. And yet he's like, man, it would have been better if my mother's womb was actually my tomb. It would be better if I died instead of was ever born because the anguish that is upon me is too much. These are people that are even doing the work of God. They're speaking on God's behalf and yet they are hitting walls and they're wondering, I don't even know, can I go on? Do I want to go on? So what do you do when you hit that wall? When you want to give in? Because a lot of times when you hit those walls, everything becomes internal. I'm not going to share anything with anybody. I'm not going to open up. I'm not going to go to that gathering. I'm going to stay home. I'm going to recluse myself. I'm going to be quiet. Nobody needs to know the struggles that I'm going through. And that's a lie from Satan. That is a straight up lie from the devil himself. Because again, God does not intend you to do this life alone. You are not in this life alone. You are surrounded by a body of believers. You are surrounded by those who have ran before us. First off, Hebrews 11 gives us this long list of people who have gone through horrendous things who have stepped out in faith when they had no idea where they were being led, but they followed God. And they are there as an example that because they could, you can do. You can too. Because they're not anybody special. Abraham's not Superman of the Bible. Noah's not Batman. They're not superheroes. They're ordinary people that believed in God and they walked out in that faith. I mean, an example of this, of seeing somebody go before you and being encouraged by it, is the four-minute mile. So the four-minute mile is what it sounds like. It's a running term where for the longest of time, all the way actually up until 1954, nobody could run one mile in under four minutes. I can't even break seven minutes, so this is still a ridiculous number. But nobody could run a mile in under four minutes. In 1954, Chris Basher became the first person to ever run a sub four-minute mile. Ridiculously fast. I can't even sprint as fast as he ran a mile. Like, that's how fast he was running for one mile. A month later, a second man ran a sub four-minute mile. Ten years later, the first high schooler from Wichita, Kansas, broke a four-minute mile. In 1999, the current world record was set by a Moroccan, three minutes, 43 seconds. Ridiculously fast. My bicycle doesn't even pedal that fast. I mean, there's no way I could keep up with him on that. 2017, 487 Americans alone can run a sub four minute mile. All the way up until 1954, not one person was able to run a sub-four-minute mile. Here we are a couple decades later, and 487 Americans can run a sub-four-minute mile. They're able to see the speed, and they're like, I can actually do that. Because he could do it, I can do it. Now, none of us are probably going to run sub-four-minute miles. 
But what God has done is he's given us this chapter in the Bible that we can look at and say, they went through it so I can go through it. Because of the faith that they had, not in themselves, but in who God is, I can have that same faith. Because it's not who I am. It's who God is. So because they can do it, I can do it as well. Because Hebrews tells us in chapter 10 that we're supposed to consider how to spur one another on to love and good works. That we're supposed to not neglect this gathering together as is the habit of some, but instead we encourage one another through our faith. And their faith is to encourage our faith. To see what they did, trusting in God, even when it looks like it is impossible, they trusted God because they had faith. That's the key word in this chapter, faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I don't know how God's going to do it, but I'm going to trust that God is faithful. I don't know how God is working in this situation, but I'm going to follow him. But as James tells us, faith does not go by word only, but faith actually requires action. It requires believing and acting out of that faith. And so we get to see the faith of Noah in verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Rain hadn't happened up to that point. And God says, Noah, I want you to build a boat. Not just a little boat, this massive 300-yard-long boat. And you're going to get two of every kind of animal, and you're going to live in that boat for a long time because I'm about to send rain for 40 days, 40 nights, and it's going to flood the entire earth. Never happened. Never was seen before. And Noah's not sitting there like, that's crazy, God. I'm a lunatic for believing this. But Noah responded in faith. He didn't know what was going to happen. He knew God said this was going to happen. He didn't have anything to believe it other than faith. And he acted out of that faith. We see Abraham in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham, go somewhere. Where am I going? I'll show you. Just go. And Abraham went. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Sarah, by faith, Sarah, verse 11, herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. And that makes you think like maybe 50. No, like 90 years old, she was past the age of having a baby, but she considered not herself but him, God, faithful, who had promised. Abraham and Isaac. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering his only son. God's going to provide a sacrifice. But right now, God has told me to sacrifice my only son. And it's not like Isaac's bound up on the altar and Abraham's just sitting there like, where is that sacrifice? But Isaac not Isaac, Abraham, like dagger in hand, is raising it in the act, and God stops him. 
And it is said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So Abraham considered that God was able, even if I kill my son, God is able to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Look at all of these. They weren't told that it was all going to work out in the end. They weren't given a step-by-step plan of, before you guys trust me, I'll show you everything I have prepared. But instead, they were told to do something by God, and they did it. Without seeing what was going to happen, they trusted God, and they stepped out in faith, leading where, following where he led. And then you see those who faced insurmountable odds. The author goes on in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And by faith, he led the people of Israel out of the greatest nation at that time, out of their captivity. Then, verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. The Israelites, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. God calling them to do crazy things. Hey, Moses, I want you to free your Israelites, my Israelites, from the hands of the greatest nation known to man today. And you're going to do it and walk out. They're going to beg you to leave. You're not going to raise a sword. You're not going to go to war with them. You're just going to lead them out and follow by faith. Hey, Israelites, I'm going to split this sea, and I want you to walk through it. Well, what if it comes crashing down? Trust me and just walk through the sea. Hey, Israelites, you're going to conquer that city, Jericho. But you're not going to take up arms against it. You're not going to get a battering ram. You're going to carry your trumpets. You're going to walk around it seven times quietly. And on the seventh time, six times quietly, on the seventh time, blow your horns, scream really loud, and watch the walls come tumbling down. By faith, they had no idea what was going to happen other than that God is worth following. Even through difficult and insurmountable times, they trusted because they had faith. Remember, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. They trusted that God is God, that he is who he says he is, and that when God calls you to do something, God is going to see you through it that he is faithful, that he is good, and that he just calls for our obedience, even in hard times, even in times where we have that question, God, what's going on? I have no idea how this is going to work out, but God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to live in obedience, because look at verse 35. Nobody likes these verses, 
where it says women received back their dead by resurrection. Some, though, they were tortured. It's like such a weird little non-transition right there. Some received back their dead. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might raise again to a better life. Others, they suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. It's like, can I have the faith of Abraham that gives me this great land, that gives me a great inheritance, gives me a great name? Can I have the faith of Moses that lets me lead a million people into the promised land? Can I have the faith of Noah that gets to survive the flood? What about their faith? Can I have the faith that brings the sword and still says I'm not going to turn back? Can I have the faith that loses friendships but still says, God, you are God and you are worth my devotion? Can I have the faith that loses freedom but holds on to faith more than anything? Can I have that kind of faith? Everybody wants the faith with the good ending. What about that faith? The faith that says, God, it's not in what you're going to give me, but it's in who you are. It's that you're God. And actually, those receive the greater promise because they didn't receive a land that was eventually taken away from them. They didn't receive a healing that was eventually sickness again. They received an eternal life. They received an eternal kingdom that's never going to be taken away. An eternal healing that will never bring sickness again. They received the hope that we look forward to. And that's why we can look to them. Because they had faith through the darkest times. But it's not just those who ran before us. God has given us each other. Those who are running with us. Continuing to push on through insurmountable odds here and now. Receiving news that nobody wants to receive and still keeping faith. Having difficulty in relationships and still trusting God experiencing lows in life through mental struggles, through emotional struggles, through physical struggles, through relational struggles, spiritual struggles, and still keeping the faith. That's in this room. That's in you who are watching. That we have those stories here and now. And God has given them to us to help encourage one another to spur one another on, to not beat each other down, but to lift each other up, to push one another on. This is a struggle, honestly, that I've been having lately, that I've been trying to just work through myself. And maybe you have the answer for me. I think I have the answer, the church answer. What's the difference between a bar and a church? I mean, like, seriously, I've been trying to figure this out lately. Think about that question. What is the difference between a bar and a church? And I hope I didn't just offend some people here. But look, think of it this way. Both have weekly gatherings. You know, Cheers says, everybody knows your name. 
at church, we don't even know everybody's name. You go to a bar, Norm, if you've seen Cheers. Both gather around a common cup. Both meet together and break bread. Both welcome and quote-unquote love one another. Go into a bar, you're going to get welcomed. Hey, man, it's so good to have you here. So glad that you came. Can I buy you a drink? Shots for everyone, because I love everybody in this room. Both have a sense of community, or they should. Well, they shouldn't. One, honestly, if I'm, if I'm being dead honest, I feel like bars do a lot better at it than churches do. That if, if you don't show up to your weekly gathering at a bar, it's like, man, we missed you last night. Where were you? We had a great time. If you miss the weekly gathering at church, ah, something must be going on. Maybe they'll come next week. Ah, didn't see them for a month straight now. Ah, something must be going on. That's their problem. It shouldn't be that way. Here's the difference, though, that I came to. And, and this is me, not biblical. This is me. The difference between a church and a bar is this. The church has a permanent solution. Jesus Christ. Everything a bar is going to point you to is going to be forgetting your troubles for maybe six hours. What the church should be pointing you to is an eternal solution in Jesus Christ. The church should be pointing you to Jesus. The bar drowns out your troubles. So why does it seem like sometimes a bar is doing so much better than a church? Why is it that people are able to run to bars and have their problems figured out, and people run to churches and they get shot? They get torn down. Instead of encouraged and told, you can do this, they get told, why do you keep messing up? What's your problem? You need to figure this out. We're not here to help you. May that never be about this church. May that never be about this body. That a bar does what we're called to do better than Jesus calls us to do. We are the body of Christ. God has given us one another. This, what we're doing right now, hearing the preaching of the word, super important, commanded in scripture. But I would say it is 10, I don't, random number, 10% of what the Christian life is. 90%, maybe 99% is the hours outside of here where you are calling one another, where you are helping one another, where you are, as Galatians 6.2 tells us, bearing one another's burdens. Notice the second part of that. You want to fulfill the law of Christ? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 we should consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Are you considering how to encourage one another? Are you thinking beyond yourself? I have to think this all the time. How can I step out of my two-foot world and not think about myself, but think about other people? and encourage them, stir them up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, not just Sunday morning, because here we sit. Where are you encouraging? Where are you pushing one another on? Where are you telling each other, hey, keep running the race, you're not done. 
You're not finished. God is still working in you. He has a plan for you. Finish strong. Where are you considering to spur one another to love good works, not neglecting to meet each other, as is becoming more and more the habit, but instead encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near? The things you go through, they're not meant for you to go through alone. You see, here's the thing about that guy that set the world record of three minutes, 43 seconds, and a mile. He didn't even do that on his own. I watched it. It's a four-minute video. You can find it on YouTube. He did not do it on his own. As he's running it, you suddenly hear the announcer say, oh, and John Doe just dropped out because he was a pace setter. And so this guy has somebody else that for one lap is just dog-tired sprinting. And then when he ran that lap, he's like, I'm done, I'm stepping out. Somebody else is going to take over and run that lap to pace this guy so that he can achieve what nobody else has done. He relied on somebody else still. We are called to rely on one another to help us through it. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 1, God comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God comforts you so that you can comfort other people with the comfort that God gave you. You see, we've seen multiple times that we are told, Hebrews 10, we've said it multiple times, spur one another on and encourage one another. So we're going to close with this. What is it, though, that we are encouraging one another to? Because if we miss that, we miss everything. Because it's not, hey, live your best life now. Keep pursuing the almighty dollar. Choose the career path that makes you feel best. If you like it, do it. That's not what we encourage one another towards. But instead, we encourage one another towards the call that God has given us. What is it that spectators at a race encourage people to do? Hey, give up now! You've made it this far, that's good. Better than you did three weeks ago. No, they say, don't quit. The finish line is right ahead. Keep going, keep running. Don't quit until you cross that line. Finish strong. Hebrews 11, verse 39. These they were commended through their faith. They did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be, perf be made perfect. There is an eternal reward waiting for us that they didn't receive because they weren't going to get it without us being a part of it. And now because of what Jesus has done, we all have access to it. So don't quit. Keep pushing. As runners come to the end of the race, the crowd is cheering them on, standing to their feet, saying, keep going, push on. You can do this. That's what we should be doing. Hey, you're not done yet. You've been running well. Good job, but don't give up. Keep pushing through. Keep the faith in Jesus. I know you're tired. I know you're exhausted. God is worth it. Dig in.
He's going to give you that strength. Grind a little bit harder. He's not done with you yet. And someday you'll be able to collapse. And then you'll be lifted up by him to an eternal glory. The finish line is ahead. Keep pushing on. If you could imagine, it's almost like Elijah, as he has his servant go out, and he sees the army around him, and it's like, oh my goodness, there is an army out there, and we are outmanned, because it's just you and me. And then Elijah prays, God, open his eyes so that he may see. And he goes back out, and he sees flaming chariots surrounding that army. It's like if God could open your eyes to see what the writer says in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, there is a great cloud cheering you on right now, saying it is worth it. It's worth losing your friends. It's worth losing your family, and I pray to God that doesn't happen. But it's worth it. It's worth losing your job, your freedom, your health, all the way up to your life. It's worth it because Jesus is worth it. Don't give up. They would say, I gave my life. I was, I was literally sawn in half, and I would do it over a thousand times again. Because Jesus is worthy. Because to realize the eternal glory that God has given them, it's like, man, these light and momentary afflictions, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, or 6, 4, they are but a fleeting moment compared to the eternal glory that we have in Jesus Christ. So don't give up. Keep pushing on and encourage one another through it all. God, we thank you for the crowd of witnesses that you gave us in your word, that we can read Hebrews 11, and God, may we not lift them up as heroes and miss the true hero of their faith, Jesus Christ. That it's not who they are, but it's who their faith is in. And God, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so we have faith in the same God that shut the lion's mouths. We have faith in the same God that split the sea, that conquered the grave. God, we have that same faith in the same God. So God, I pray that you encourage us, that you spur us, our faith that you ignite the flame in our hearts to live for you, whatever difficulties come our way, that we hold our faith in you. And then God, whatever stories are in this room that we can share to encourage one another, may we do that so that you can be glorified. And whatever difficulties are going on in this room, not that they have to publicly make them known, but God, may they find encouragement in your body. God, may we just be your body. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this.